0: To remain standing for the reading of God's word. It'll be found in Acts 8, 26 to 40, the blue Bibles that are either underneath you or in front of you, um, page 1166 on the far end of the book. This is God's word. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. about himself, or about someone else. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing." But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your word that you've given us to be able to read and understand. Lord, we know we can't understand it ourselves, and so I pray that your spirit would be at work in our hearts, opening our eyes to the truths of your word, Lord, and helping us know how to apply those truths into our everyday walks. Lord, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So have you ever had a spiritually high experience where it was no doubt God was at work? For some of us sitting here, it might have been a retreat, between a men's retreat, a women's retreat, a youth retreat, somewhere in our lives where we've gone away from the entanglement of our everyday lives and just gotten away. Maybe for some of us, it was a missions experience, being on that short-term trip where you're getting to share the gospel, oftentimes cross-culturally. Maybe that was the experience. Or maybe it's some everyday-type experience in your life where you can look back and say, God spared me from some kind of pain, some kind of suffering, or maybe a big mistake I could have made. And the list can go on on what those spiritually high experiences could be. Well, after those experiences, it's easy to say to God, I will go wherever you want me to go. I will do whatever you want me to do. And the question becomes, do you really mean it? You know, over the last few weeks or really month and a half in our martyrs class, we've been seeing some pretty awful ways in which people died serving the Lord. So would you be willing to go to tribes in the South Pacific that are cannibalistic, knowing they want to eat you? Would you be willing to die that kind of death? Would you be willing to go to a Muslim nation where you know they kill people that aren't Muslim? Or maybe get closer to home. Are you willing to go to that boss, that coworker, and talk about your faith instead of just living a good life and hoping they notice? Or would you be willing to break the cardinal rule at family dinners and family get-togethers, which says, don't talk about politics or religion? Would you be willing to talk about your faith knowing there could be hostility. There could be angry words. In our emotional experiences, it's easy to say to the Lord, I will serve you wherever, whenever, with whoever. But not my boss. No, no, no. I got to work. But, but not that family member. They're really antagonistic. So sometimes it's easy to say, we'll do whatever, and then we say no. We just finished hearing a quick series of sermons from Pastor Hayward, and he took us through the book of Colossians. And in that book, we're faced with Jesus and who he is, the Son of God, creator, ruler, reconciler, Savior, with many other words, he died for us and that how believing in him should affect how we live in every area of our lives we're good at compartmentalizing we have everything in nice neat boxes and we try not to let them overlap into each other you know we got the work box over here and then we got the family box and then we have our entertainment box and this box and that box and then we have our our faith box over here, the faith box, it comes out on Sundays. It comes out when I go to Shepherd group or youth group or some other event of the church, and then the box goes back into its place. And what we miss is the faith box. It's the master box. It's the one in which all the other boxes fit into and are not to be separate from. And yet, if some of us step back and think about our interactions at work, as we think of our interactions with our families, with a neighbor, we start to realize that our faith box is separate from all of our other boxes. This week in Vacation Bible School, our children are going to interact with a few scenes from the life of Jesus. we we'll are going to be looking at his, his birth. We're going to be looking at his interaction with Zacchaeus, his triumphal entry and his death on the cross. And as we look at those, we're going to be looking at how Jesus came to shine the light into a dark world. He came to this sin-filled world to show people our only hope is in Jesus Christ. And the last story of the week on Friday will conclude with this story from Acts 8 to show we need to share Christ where he is opening the doors for us to talk and share about him. So I want to look at Acts 8 this morning, a true story of a man named Philip whose life illustrates what we just heard and read in Colossians the last few weeks. And I hope this story can encourage us, challenge us to think about our mission fields, to think where God has placed you to live and interact every day, serving him. So I want to look quickly at the backdrop of this story, because it's important to see what's going on in the book of Acts. Saul, who would later come to faith in Jesus, was ravaging the church. He hated people who were following Jesus Christ. He was a zealous and passionate Pharisee. He wanted to see this band of Christians who were proclaiming this message of faith in Christ, want to see them come to an end. Because many Jews, even priests, were leaving the Jewish religion and following Jesus Christ. And so he persecuted him far and wide, and even gave nod and approval as Stephen, the deacon, was being stoned to death in Jerusalem. Now, because of this persecution, the Christians in Jerusalem scattered. Now, that could have been a time when Christians said, You know, I know I said I would serve you, Lord. It's getting too costly. They could have said that, but they didn't. Acts 8.4 says they scattered, but they scattered and went about preaching the word of God, the scriptures. Philip was one of those who scattered. He was one of those who continued to preach God's word. He was one of those who was set apart as a deacon in Acts 6.5, not to be confused with Philip the Apostle. He worked closely with Stephen. And so in Acts 8, Philip scatters, and he goes down south of Jerusalem to Samaria, and he teaches about Jesus. He performs signs, he casts out demons, he heals people, and it says many people through his ministry were starting to follow Jesus. This deacon did not run away from ministry. You know, Saul thought he was doing a good thing, right? Get all those Christians out of Jerusalem. Seeing them scatter, he thought, you know, those radical Christians, good. They're gone. What he didn't realize is he was helping them fulfill the Great Commission. The Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything they have been commanded. And so Philip's ministry, the little bit we see here in Acts, is a good picture of the Great Commission and living it out something Jesus has commanded all of us to do as followers of Jesus. It's not, a life, it's not just a, a, an event. It's a lifestyle, going and sharing the gospel. So I want to use Matthew twenty-eight nineteen to 20 to show how Philip lived out the Great Commission and his experience here with the Ethiopian eunuch. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen to 20 says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Spirit was with Philip. In the beginning part of Acts in this story, we see who the story is really about. It's not Philip. It's not the Ethiopian eunuch, though they're seen in the story. But as you read through the first part of Acts, it becomes clear this is about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is doing in the church. And so we see in the first chapters of Acts, the Holy Spirit is promised to disciples, and then the Holy Spirit is being poured out on them in Jerusalem to where they come out, speaking the language of the nations that are represented in Jerusalem. And then Acts 4, as the people are gathered, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. Not in Acts 4, in Acts 2. But in Acts 4, he's filled with the Holy Spirit and speaks before the council when they say, what are you teaching? And the Spirit fills them to respond to that council. At the end of chapter 4, the believers are praying and the house is shaking and the Holy Spirit comes upon them and it says they spoke with boldness. And chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira test the Spirit by holding back money, and they die on the spot. In Acts 6 and 7, we see Stephen and his life and his ministry where he is full of the Holy Spirit, and he speaks boldly even in his dying breaths as he's being stoned. See, it's clear from our account also in, in Acts 8 that the Lord, through his angels, through the Holy Spirit, is the one leading Philip these ministry opportunities, these events, they're not manufactured by man, but it's God who is opening the doors through the Spirit. And He is the one that's doing the leading. So we see this. Verse 26, the angel of the Lord says, go south into the desert. Verse 29, when Philip arrives, the Spirit says, go, join the chariot. Then in verse 39, after he baptized him, it says, after he baptized Eunuch, it says, the Spirit carries him away. And Philip is carried away. So God's promise in the Great Commission is he will be with us to the very end of the age. Even in the midst of persecution and the scattering of his people, God was with them. He promised it. And we see that in the life of Philip. See, God was not surprised at what Saul was doing to the church. God didn't sit back and say, ah, oh, plan B, let's go from urban ministry to desert ministry, God wasn't doing that. God was actually setting up a divine appointment in that desert, and as Philip followed the Spirit, led him to the chariot and to this man who needed to hear the gospel. God is with his people as he promised. Do you believe that promise? Because that's ours today. It's true. He is with us wherever we go. Now, unfortunately, we live in a culture that places a lot of emphasis on emotions, and we see that even in the church. If you don't feel God is near, you're doing something wrong. You're not reading the Bible enough. You're not praying enough. You're not singing songs in worship with enough emotion. Now, don't get me wrong. We should be emotional. You know, as we read God's word, it should stir up emotions in us. As we're praying, we should be emotional as we're calling out to God. As we're singing, we should be emotional as we think of the words we're singing back to God. But that cannot be the standard in which we assess a vibrant faith. Why? Emotions change. We can't always trust them. Jesus is the one we can trust. Jesus' promises are the ones we can trust. And his promise is he's given us the Holy Spirit as a deposit in our lives, a deposit of the salvation he's worked in us, a promise of the eternal life that is to come our way one day. And so the Holy Spirit is the one we trust, look to, the one who opens doors, the one who guides us. We don't do that work. I think of our mission trip many years ago to Chattanooga, Tennessee. And as we were ministering to the children in the apartment complex there, some of us were like, this is something we can do back home. There's apartments near home. And so some of us got together and started praying, praying for what those opportunities might look like right here in our backyard. And the Penswood community, doors were open, welcomed us in, gave us a place. And then when one place didn't work out, they offered another place that we could go and have a ministry among the children. But but in the midst of ministering those children, we met some Hindus, we met some Muslims. And all of a sudden, God was opening doors to cross-cultural ministry, which ultimately birthed our ESL ministry today. It started with God opening a door in another state and then bringing us back home and opening doors right here in our backyard. It's the Holy Spirit who leads, who guides who opens and closes doors. And so as you go to work, as you go to that family gathering, as you interact with your neighbors, as you do your school activities, do you believe that God is with you? Do you believe the Spirit is guiding you? If we really believe that promise, it's going to impact the way we talk. It's going to impact our interactions with people because we know God is with us through his spirit. Now, some of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't believe it. We try to hide our faith. We try to be covert because in those moments, our focus is on us. It's on our own comfort. It's on our You know, I don't want to feel awkward in this situation. I don't want to rock the boat in these relationships. I don't know what to say. All I can say is trust and believe in the one who created all things. The one who is Lord over all things. Trust that he is with you. And he promised to be with you no matter the circumstance. No matter the people in your lives who don't like what you have to say. God is with you. So tied closely then to the spirit being with Philip is, Philip goes. Where does he go? He goes from Samaria, a little south of Jerusalem, to the road that leads even further south into Gaza. He goes into the desert. Now, the desert is not exactly booming with humanity. It's hot. It's dry. It's dangerous, and there's not a whole lot of places where you can stop and rest. So part of me steps back and goes, what was going on in Philip's mind? As God says to go south into the desert. Did he question God? Did he question his faith? I mean, this seems like an odd request that God would give as nobody's likely to be in the middle of the desert. What business would he find there? I know if it was me, I would start questioning did I really see an angel? Did an angel talk to me? But Philip doesn't ask any questions. He does as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he goes. And when he arrives, it's a chariot. A chariot in the middle of the road. Huh. I bet there was at least a measure of astonishment and awe to see this sitting in the middle of the desert. Wow, somebody's here. And as Philip stands there, I mean, just try to picture it. He's standing a distance, like observing this chariot, and then the Spirit says, Go, go to the chariot. Now, again, are there questions that went through his mind? Is this guy in the chariot one of those people that's persecuting the church and Christians? Is this guy kind of laying in ambush and they want to rob me of everything I have? there could have been objections to what the Lord was sending Philip to do. We don't know because he goes. If we follow Jesus, we're commanded to go. That is the first command of the Great Commission. And yet many of us have accumulated, I don't want to say many, some of us have accumulated excuses as to why we don't go. I'm too busy. That's not my ministry. I wouldn't know what to say. I don't want to cause any waves in my family or work or with friends. And the list of irrationalizations can go on and on. What's your excuse? Do you have an excuse as to why you don't share the gospel, the people God has put in your lives? You see, going doesn't mean going across the globe. doesn't mean going into other countries, though for some of us, God may be calling you to that kind of ministry. And if he's calling us, we go. But for all of us, going is right here. So we're observing in my Sunday school class today, we get so used to signs sometimes that we forget some of them that are there. You know, and above the doors as we go out, says you are entering your mission field. And so we are already going. And what's our reason? where we aren't sharing the gospel. See, God has strategically placed this church in this community to get to know our neighbors, to minister to our neighbors. But he has also strategically placed each one of you in your families, in your neighborhoods, at your job, in your school, on your sports team, and the list goes on. And he's put us in those places to be lights, and to share the light, not just with actions, but with words. And some of us aren't taking advantage of those ministry opportunities, of that mission field in which we get to live in every day. Romans 10 says, how will they know unless someone tells them? People need to hear the words of truth. Just living a good life I mean, that's not a bad thing to live as a good person, but that's not enough to point people to Jesus. We have to share the scriptures. We have to share the Bible, and we must go. That is God's command to us in the Great Commission and throughout scripture. So what does Philip do after he goes? Well, Philip now, he's making a disciple by teaching all that he's been commanded, by teaching the things that he has seen and heard. Now, to make a disciple, there has to be someone to disciple. Ethiopian eunuch was that person for Philip. Here's an important official to the queen. Here is someone who had some kind of fear of God because he went to Jerusalem to worship. Now, it was in Jerusalem where he probably heard about this Jesus, heard about the rebels who were following this dead prophet, these rebels who are now scattered. And as he's leaving Jerusalem after this worship experience, He's trying to read the scriptures. And he's lost. He's puzzled. He can't make sense of it. And Philip, by abiding in the Lord, by trusting his promises, by following the leading of the Holy Spirit, he's put in a position to make an impact on this man. And so by obeying God's command to go, finds himself at the foot of the chariot. Now the next part is the hardest part for most of us. Where do I begin the conversation? It's awkward. How do I make that introduction? I'm not going to take the time here to give you like, all the different things and all the different situations on how to start a conversation with somebody. But notice what Philip does. He approaches this situation. He approaches this chariot. And he doesn't come up ready to monologue. He could have come up and just started spouting everything he knew without listening, without asking any questions or anything. But he comes observant. He's listening, seeing what this man is reading. And then he asks a question. He took the moment to listen, to find that connection point. And what a great connection point it was. The guy was reading the book of Isaiah. Philip knew Isaiah. And so, in next step, instead of telling him what he's reading, he says, "Do you understand it? Do you understand what you're reading?" He puts the ball back into the Ethiopian's court to let him respond. And he says, "How can I?" And he says to Philip, "Come up in the chariot. Explain to me what I'm reading in Isaiah." And so Philip had this golden opportunity to talk about Jesus using Isaiah 53 as the backdrop. See, we cannot make a disciple without talking about Jesus. Discipleship is not playing sports. Discipleship is not cooking with a friend. Discipleship is not doing a work project, going to the movies. Now, these are great vehicles to build relationships, and see bridges to talk about our faith, but if we never get around to sharing the scriptures, we never get around to pointing people to Jesus, we have not done the work of discipleship. So as the men read Isaiah together, the Ethiopian says, is this man writing about himself or somebody else? And so Philip takes the opportunity to talk about Jesus. He shares the things he's seen, he shares the things that he has heard, And it says he proceeds to share the good news of Jesus. Jesus is the lamb who was led to slaughter. Jesus was the one who was silent before his accusers. Jesus was humiliated in that he died a criminal death on the cross. Jesus' life was taken away. He was laid in the grave after his crucifixion. Now, we're not told all that Philip shared, all that he talked about in this good news, Did he talk about Jesus' birth? How Jesus was and is Emmanuel, God, God with us? Jesus who would save his people from their sins? Did he share the various miracles, the casting out of demons, walking on water, calming storms, healing people? Did he share verses where Jesus talked about himself? The Father and I are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father, but through me. You will have trouble in this world. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Or Jesus' words on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing as they're crucifying him. Did he share the different stories and parables that Jesus shared? Did he talk about his death and resurrection? We don't know exactly the good news that he shared, only that he shared Jesus and what Christ had done for us. It's the good news that we're called to continue to share today. We have to share it. We're commanded to share it. And it's a good news some of us sitting here this morning are wrestling with. Maybe some of you came in here thinking, I'm good. Life is good. I got this. The good, of Je- good news of Jesus is, you're not good. You don't got this and you're dead in your sin. It's bad news. But often we have to hear bad news to embrace and understand the good news. And the good news is Jesus, while we were sinning, came, died on the cross for our sins, rose on the third day and through faith in Jesus. And in Jesus alone, there's no amount of good works No amount of anybody else doing something for us that we can be saved, that can get us to heaven. Are you walking with Jesus? Is your faith in Jesus Christ? That's the good news Philip would have shared with the Ethiopian eunuch, and what we need to continue to share today. And so, by following the Lord's leading, by abiding and trusting in Him, Philip had a great opportunity to share the things that he had been commanded, the things that he had learned. It's an opportunity he would have never had if he said, you know what? I'm going to scatter and be quiet. The cost is too great. If he had thought that, he would have never came to this desert encounter. And so what do we see about the Ethiopian? It says he believes. He trusted in Jesus Christ. He began to follow Jesus. And then what does he ask if he can be baptized? And so Philip, the deacon, the deacon who's been traveling, because this chariot is moving further south, and so as the, the chariot's traveling, Philip says yes, and they pull over. And he baptizes at the Ethiopian's request, baptizes him. It's awesome to think about this man, this Ethiopian, who had some element of fear of God but did not know God how he went to Jerusalem and came away from that experience empty, wondering if there was more, full of questions, lost. And it was in the middle of the desert where he'd find answers to his questions. It was in the middle of the desert that he would find hope. It's in the middle of the desert where his life would change forever. It's in the middle of the desert where he would become a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's often in those desert-like experiences, those places in the world where we would never think of sharing the gospel. It's often in those places where God is at work using his people to impact the lives of many others. So as part of the Great Commission, we're to make disciples, teaching everything we have been commanded. Are we doing that as a church? Are we relying on programs instead of looking for opportunities to intentionally disciple people person to person? Are you members of Trinity? And others sitting here this morning, are you discipling somebody? Who is that person you're meeting with and reading the Bible together? That person you're praying with? That person you're taking time to teach what you have learned and how you've grown in your faith? That's something we are called to do. All the adults in this room, whether you're a retiree, a parent, a college student, whether you are a high school or middle school student, or even some of our children sitting here, this is something we are called to do, to make disciples. It takes time, it takes sacrifice, but that's the call placed on our lives. I want to close with this quote from John Piper from Let the Nations Be Glad. This is what he says. As we seek to find out why, with such millions of Christians, the real army of God that is fighting the host of darkness is so small, the only answer is lack of heart. The enthusiasm of the kingdom is missing. And that is because there is so little enthusiasm for the king to fulfill and carry out the Great Commission, we need to be enthusiastic about God's kingdom. But most importantly, as we saw in Colossians, faced with who Jesus was, we need to be enthusiastic for Jesus. Enthusiastic about wanting to get to know him, grow in our faith in him. And As we grow in that enthusiasm, as we get to know him, he is going to use us in sharing the gospel with a world that's dying, with people who need to hear the hope of Christ. So my encouragement to you is talk to somebody before you leave this morning. First, if you don't know Jesus, we want to share that with you. So ask how you can know and walk with Jesus. And and secondly, if you're like, how do I take advantage of my mission field? We want to share that with you too. We want to walk with you and encourage you and what it means to make disciples right where God has strategically placed you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your word, for its truths. Lord, your word makes us see our sin. But Lord, your word also shows us hope that comes from knowing and following Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray for those sitting here this morning. You know each of our hearts. You know those who don't know you, who think they're good, think they got it all figured out, And they need to hear, they don't. And we only have hope through embracing Christ, believing in who he is, dying for us on the cross, after living a perfect life, that he rose from the dead and that only through faith in him do we have hope. Give that hope to people this morning. And those of us struggling with boldness, with not wanting to share our faith because we're scared. Because we're looking more at ourselves, I pray that you would give us a boldness that we know only comes from you. Because on our own, we'll be scared every time. And we'll never share. But with your spirit at work in us, and by looking to you and obeying you as you send us, Lord, you're going to give us some awesome opportunities to share the gospel, to make disciples, people you've put into our lives. So we praise you for the hope that comes from knowing and walking with Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.